There we go. Good morning. Good to see you. I, uh, I'm so excited about being here. It's, it's definitely a shoes-off sermon. I have a really nice pair of wingtips over there, but it feels like a shoes-off sermon, so that's what you're going to get. Um, I'm excited not just because I love this church, but because every time, every time we open up the Word of God, every time we read the Bible, every time someone preaches, uh, it's, it's a moment, it's an event when God speaks truth into our lives. Uh, it's a moment, because this, this, this book is not just dead and dusty and dry, it's profound and dynamic, and it is going to, if you allow it, it is going to rip the rib cage of your heart out and speak to your soul and change stuff. So when you come around the Word of God, I fully expect you come expectant, because God's got this book out, and it's about to tell us some stuff, which is just going to be really cool. Um, I have a coach uh, back in Scotland who I meet maybe once every three or four months, who, um, who's a broad Glaswegian, and he is huge. He's bigger than me, and uh, he's about 70 years of age, and before he became a pastor, he was a docker. He worked on ships, and he looks you in the eye, and every time I come into a meeting with him, he looks me in the eye, and he says, Big man, disturb yourself. Big man, which is disturbing in and of itself when, when he says that. And I'm, I'm never 100% sure exactly what he's trying to say, but I think what he's trying to say is if you get stuck in a rut, if you get stuck in a wagon's rut, if you get stuck in your walk with God or, or in any part of your life, in doing the same old, same old, it not just becomes boring, it, it just disables you in walking with God with freedom and life. And so the message I have today is, River Church, disturb yourself. Or, or, or maybe even more profoundly, allow God, the Spirit of God, Jesus the, and the Father to disturb you into his future for you. So, so if you have a Bible and you're able to open it to Mark chapter 3, that's, that's what we're going to do. I, I don't know what image you have of Jesus you know, I don't know whether your image is kind of Sunday school image. Jesus has got blonde hair and wears a blue kind of sarong thing and has, has a, you know what I mean, and has a, a, also has a lamb under his arm as if that's what he carried all the time. You know, or, but actually the, the picture that I have of Jesus whenever I picture Jesus is of someone who's deeply disturbing. Does that make sense? Someone who is deeply disturbing, someone who is deeply disruptive actually. You know, of course, he's profoundly loving, but he's deeply uncomfortable to be with. You know, if you, if you get your, yourself into the, the mind and the body of some of the disciples as they're walking with Jesus, Jesus was deeply disturbing. He was always turning things on their head. He was always asking questions they didn't want to be asked. He was always provoking things. He was always pushing at things, and sometimes he was even picking a fight with things. He's demonstrating God to people. And he's introducing people to the kingdom of God. And he's calling people all the, all the time back to their original design, back to the Father. And all the while, he seems to be disrupting and disturbing religion. And people caught in religion. He's always got something negative to say about, about religion. And so the end of the reading today, look at verse 13 and 14. I found this really interesting. Jesus is calling his followers to himself. He calls them disciples. 
The Greek word is the word mythetos, or, or learners of him. Every day is a school day for these guys. And then verse 14, he appointed 12 that they might be with him. Now, I think that's huge. But before we get into anything else, don't miss this. The primary call of anyone who will be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus Christ, is to be with him, not do for him. I get to be with Jesus. I get to be with Jesus. It's not the thing that helps me do the thing. It's the thing. If that makes any sense at all. It's the thing. Being with Jesus is the thing. And of course, if I'm with Jesus, the life of Jesus flows in me and through me to the people that Jesus loves around me. And it stops being a strive and a drive. And I've got to make this thing happen somehow. And it stops being a religion. Here's the thought. When do for him eclipses be with him, it always becomes religion which kills life. When do for him eclipses be with him, it always becomes religion which kills life. Ironically, the very life that it was trying to produce. You ever, you ever thought how amazing it is that when Jesus shows up on on the scene, the people who shouldn't like him love him, and the people that should don't. You ever notice that? You know, the religious people, they can't really stand him, and the really bad people, they think he's wonderful. <laughs> and, and you know what? It's still true. Jesus is still deeply, deeply attractive. People who don't come here, out there, whenever they encounter the person of Jesus, they find it so deeply attractive because they are hardwired to know Jesus. Every single person on this planet is, is, is created with a God-responder mechanism in their heart and life. And when they encounter the one who is God, it's deeply attractive to them because he speaks truth right into their hearts and into their lives. So people who shouldn't love Jesus totally love Jesus, and, and Jesus is still significantly misunderstood by religious people because the, he is the antithesis of religion. So Jesus walks into the synagogue. James read it for us on the Sabbath. And it's a total setup by people and by God for us. And, and he spies this sick guy. And he's looking for it and they're waiting for it. There's a guy with a withered hand. And the religious guys are watching Jesus because it's the Sabbath and they know what's about to happen. And, and the scriptures say this, they are watching to accuse Jesus and Jesus picks a fight with religion. And he does it real publicly. And, and it's very intentional. You know, Jesus could very easily, and I wouldn't blame him, if he'd have uh, said, Peter, 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 come here. And Peter would always have come quickly because he was keen. You know Peter, frequently wrong, never in doubt. Always, <laughs> Peter, come on. Guy with a withered hand over there. Bang, sick. Whisper to him. Get him. What do you want me to do, Jesus? Do you want me to kick him out? It's Peter. No, no. He could have said, just don't do it publicly, because if you do it publicly, it's going to offend some religious people, and it's going to cause a massive scene, and we're going to have to have an argument. I have to do some teaching I don't want to do right now. There's going to be a big thing going on. But he doesn't do it. He does it totally publicly, because he wants to do something about the hand, but he wants to do something more about religion. He wants to speak some truth, which is going to change everything. There's a man with a problem. His problem is the hand. 
He's got a bad hand. According to Levitical law, it should have excluded him from, from worship. But his, and this is extra biblical, but it's my guess. It's only one hand, so he hides it. Because if you've got one hand that's bad, you can shake with the other hand when you do the meet and greet. Which you love, by the way. Yeah. It's like the only church I've ever been to that likes that bit. But they just love it. It's fantastic. Because he can do that. He can, he, he can hide one hand. And the story is so vital because we've all got situations, even here today, and most of them flow out of systems that means our lives don't work in the way we think they should work. We've all got issues. I've got issues. You've got them too. There's a song about that. We all have weaknesses. We all have pasts. We all have brokenness. And we can hide it because it might just be one hand. <laughs> or we can let God deal with it and the system that causes it. You know, by the way, that religion is a system, don't you? A system at best designed to help people get close to God, usually now doing the opposite. A system that's causing situations that are killing life. And, and, I, and I love this church, and I hope you recognize that. This is a great church. I wouldn't bother coming if I... I mean, I would, because it's California, and it's really nice. <laughs> but but this, is a great, this is a great church. But Jesus is still wanting to disrupt some religious thinking to enable some Jesus living. And, and, and first off, check this out. Jesus is wanting to disturb passivity because it's the system that is disabling involvement. See, people were used to religious leaders that sucked. They, they were either blenders or separators. The, the separators were the Pharisees. They had so many laws that separated them from anything that was, that was difficult or broken or, 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 or dirty. They had 600 of them strictly obeyed. They judged people and they separated themselves. They were better than you. They were the Pharisees. And, and the blenders were the Herodians. The Pharisees were being passive by removing themselves. The Herodians were being passive by blending in with everybody else. They weren't better than you. They were just like you. They were no different than you. But, but look, at this, look at this, verse 6. Check out the passage. The Pharisees and the Herodians, people who would not want to be in the same room, find themselves in the same sentence in the Bible because they come together to plot Jesus' death. Why? Because both sides hate him because he's disturbing their religion. He's disturbing their neutrality. He's disturbing their comfort. The point is this, church. The way of Jesus is different. It's not separating or blending, it's restoring. It's the way of involvement and it's always causal. To be a disciple of Jesus is always causal. It means that we can't just try to get by with our quiet lives, minding our own business, not getting involved in everybody else's stuff, uh, holding on to our get out of hell free cards and hoping that Jesus comes pretty soon because it's dark out there, not getting involved with people's lives and struggles because we have to care about justice because God is just, right? We have to care about the environment because God is green, right? He's, the, he's like the original green. We have to care about people because God cares about people. We, we have to care about refugees because God was one. Have you ever noted that? We, we have to care about widows and orphans because the scripture says that's the nature of true religion. 
We have to care about truth and boundaries. I'll tell you why we have to care about truth and boundaries. Not because we want to be the religion police or the judging killjoys, but because our young people today are in a perilous state where, where, where the, the, the amalgamous equation of infinite choice married to no moral north connected to radical individualism means that how in the world does anyone ever make a decision these days about what they're doing or who they are? How, 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 can, we, how can we help people navigate? No wonder the mental health statistics for some of our, our kids are off the charts because it's constant stress. It's constant choices. It's constant decisions. You know, when I was growing up, I said this morning on the beach, I was growing up, the, the hot drink choice for an Englishman was tea, one kind, with milk. Or instant coffee, which was revolting. How many of you remember instant coffee? It's that nasty stuff with the horrible dried, freezed Nescafe. Oh, apologize if you work for Nescafe, but it's horrible stuff. Nowadays, you can have like a panic attack getting to the counter at Starbucks. I don't know. Do you want a cappuccino? Do you want a latte? Do you want a mochaccino? Do you want a flat white? Do you want an americano? Do you want it skinny? Do you want it full? Do you want it nothing on top? Do you want it foamy, not foamy, extra hot? Do you want any kind of tea? You know those horrible teas that smell amazing, taste like dishwater? Do you know those ones? Those fruity ones. They smell great, don't they? <laughs> Here's the thing. It's one thing when it's a hot drink choice. It's altogether another when it's your gender, your sexuality your identity, who you are, what it's all about. We have to find, we, we have to be the people that, that learn how to speak truth in a non-judgmental, non-restrictive way that we live, because God has a book out and he's got a blueprint for life and we, we learn how to live it and speak it in a way that's attractive and winsome for people, but it gives people a framework for life that, that, that is not free of, of dreadful anxiety. We are, friends, we can't just be a comfortable community that gathers at the Norris or at the beach and says, feed me from the word of God. Look after my children. Make sure my teenagers don't go off the rails. Because honestly, when you put it down to the bottom line, that's what a lot of churches do. You know, look after me, feed me some stuff and look after my kids. No, 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 no. We are the people that gather and scatter to declare in how we live and what we say that there is a kingdom that supersedes and subverts every earthly kingdom and we have a king. And, and the way in we, which we live, the kingdom is so disturbingly different that people look at us and go, wow. They share with one another. They hold their stuff like this and not like this. They forgive quickly because they've been forgiven profoundly. They assume the best in one another. They don't assume the worst. They live open lives. They love people well and they tell the truth. Because if you were like that, goodness me, it would be profoundly different from what's going on in our world right now. You can see how Jesus is disturbing. I hope this is too. You never have to invite me back. Jesus is wanting to, notice this, Jesus is wanting to disturb programs to prioritize people, which doesn't sound particularly profound, but hold your horses. See, Jesus is always doing people over programs. He loves values over vehicles. If you've got your Bible, look at verse 27 of chapter 2. This is huge. He says to make you... Sit up and notice. <laughs> this is huge. 
I wrote that in my notes. This is huge. The, the principles of the Sabbath are central, but the practices of the Sabbath are flexible. Why? Listen, because Sabbath was made for humanity, not humanity for the Sabbath. And Jesus here, look, what not is this? He's willing to break with tradition and upset people to heal somebody. And he always is. He's, he's always going to do that. If you're going to follow Jesus, that's always going to, which, which makes it deeply disturbing because your programs are all neat and tidy and you can control them, but you can't control Jesus. And, and, and it, it makes for a, a white knuckle ride, but it's the only ride that brings, brings life. The laws were set up in the Old Testament for good reason. They were set up so that you would know God. They were set up so that you could walk with God. They were set up for, for good reason, but now they were getting in the way of people walking and being free. And that's no good for God anymore. So Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law, which can be read in any, any different way, but I choose to read it as, I've done it. It's done. Which doesn't mean you can totally disregard it and rubbish it, but it means you, don't, you are no longer bound to that kind of way of living in your, in your walk with God. There's a new way, there's a new law, there's a new sheriff in town. It's called me, and I'm the, I'm the way of love. See, God loves people, which is not the most profound thing I'm going to say today, but might be the most important. He really loves people all people. He's an equal opportunity lover. Broken people, smart people, politically correct people. He even loves politically correct people. Racist people. Really loves racist people. Black people, white people, gay people, straight people. God loves people. He's like, mm, not so much. He, he loves people. And, and, and the way in which he loves people, look at verse 4. Jesus says, on the Sabbath, I'm doing good and saving lives. It's a great description of what we should be doing as church, isn't it? Doing good, saving lives. And that word saving is the word sozo, which doesn't just mean we're getting them to tick a box that they've become a Christian and pray to prayer. It means healed, freed, mended, made whole. Sozo, I'm, gonna, I'm in the business of making you exactly who I created you to be. And dealing with the brokenness and dealing with the wounds and dealing with the scars and doing some forgiveness and getting some healing done so that you can fully represent me and I can fully love you. That's what God is doing. And when Jesus sees religion doing anything else than this, it makes him mad. That's what the Bible says in this passage. He's pissed. He doesn't say that. That would be rude. That's why you're not going to invite me back. But he's mad. He's really mad. God loves people more than programs. Here's the problem. Many churches that I speak at, looks like the church has the opposite approach and the opposite view. We have a course for everything. <laughs> a marriage course, we have a parenting course, we have a singleness course, we have a bereavement course, we have an addiction course, we have courses for people who are addicted to courses. And we <laughs> And we're wedded to a schedule. Who knows, who knows who came up with it 50 years ago? And why we feel religiously that we have to do it in that way and gather in this way and come at this time. And it doesn't say it in the Bible, but 
and, and I'm, I'm, I'm being flippant, because sometimes it helps us. But what if there is a, what if there's a darker thing going on here? What if programs are easier than people and structures are neater than people because people are really messy and very difficult? T turn to the person next to you and let's do some interaction. Poke them and say, messy and very difficult. And it may be true, actually, the person you're messy and very difficult. You're messy, yeah, if you're a parent, you can probably do that. Messy. <laughs> you can say it, then kiss your wife. Like, it's a joke. We know this is not true. Messy and very difficult. And here's the thing. You can't control people. But you can control programs. But people are more important than programs. And Jesus just wants you to know that. And to remind you that he sent his son to break some vehicles, to get back to some values, and break some programs to get back to some people, because that's what he always does. Which is just my way of saying the way in which we meet, and when we meet, and what time it is, and how often we do anything, is all up for grabs in the church of Jesus Christ. That we need to is not up for grabs. But how we do it is. Because every time the way in which we do something runs roughshod over the principles of loving people, we need to sack that and do something else. They misunderstood the Sabbath, you see. The Sabbath was a gift from God to the flourishing of people. It wasn't a rule or a right that you had to tick off and say, I've done this thing. It's a gift for us. Sabbath is a gift. It's, it, 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 it's, it's to put a pace and a rhythm in our lives that we might be whole. It's to, it's to remind us of our dependence on God. It's to propel us into a life of worship. It's to recalibrate our lives because our lives are so crazy, busy all the time. But it's not to restrict us, control us, constrict us, shame us, or suck the life out of us. And then for us to force everyone else into the same restrictive interpretation like a spiritual line dance that everyone has to do exactly what <laughs> I did a line dance this morning on the beach. It wasn't great. But you know? You know what I mean? We do that in religion, don't we? We kind of, we, we believe something, we feel obliged to do something and then we force everyone else to conform to our standard of doing something and then everyone else who is different than us has to do what we do because otherwise you're not going to be as good as you need to be. Disturb yourself. Final thought. Best thought. Stay alert. Jesus is disturbing prejudice so his people can be witnesses. There's, um, there's prejudice in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And on this occasion, it's not about skin color or gender or sexuality or anything that we would usually align with prejudice. It's about Jesus. It's prejudice towards Jesus. What, what is prejudice? Well, break the word down very simply. It's to prejudge something. Prejudge. Verse 2. They were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They had already decided that he was bad news. And they were looking for a reason to accuse him. They were offended. They'd already decided they were going to be offended and said so they were looking for a reason. You know, you, you know what confirmation bias is? Confirmation bias is 
when you've already decided the verdict and then you start looking for the evidence to back it up. Do you know what that's like? You know what that's like, isn't it? You've already decided something is going to happen and then you see it all the time in somebody. And you know what? What you believe is true. It's going to happen. Nobody loves me. Nobody friends me. No one invites me. Nobody cares for me. I'm going to go to the party. No one's going to talk to me. I'm going to sit in the corner on my own. No one's going to love me. Well, guess what? That's prophetic. It's going to happen because no one does want to talk to you and be next to you in the party because you're giving off this pheromone thing that says don't go talk to the miserable guy in the corner who thinks no one loves them. It's a confirmation bias thing. You always see what you decided you're, you're, you're going to see. The, pro- the problem with prejudice is that you've decided beforehand what is true and what is, what is going to happen. And now there is no space for God to surprise you with his power and his grace. And we are so judgy in the church. I am so judgy. I just, you know, I can't, I, I know this is like revelation, but... I find it really difficult to walk down the street in my city without judging about 10 people. Fortunately, it doesn't come out of my mouth, but it's, if there were those bubbles, what you're thinking, I would be so beaten up and condemned. I'm thinking things that I shouldn't think, like, why is she with him? <laughs> did, you, did you not think about before coming out dressed like that? Really? You know, I, I, th- I think these kind of things. I think, don't eat that burger. I just, I think, I think stuff. I know I shouldn't, but I do. And, and, and I know you're much better and holier than that, and you never do that kind of thing. But we are, we're so judgy, aren't we? we? Here's the thing. If you decide to take the place of the judge, you cannot also, at the same time, take the place of the witness. This is so important. I'm going to say it again. You can't be a judge and be a witness. And, and that thought is, 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 is altogether one, one thing when it's a law court. It's altogether another when it's living the life of God. You can't be a witness to who God is and what God does and what God wants to do while you're choosing to be a judge. And consequently, every time you choose to be a judge about what everyone else is doing and what's going on in everyone else's life and why they parent people, why they parent so badly and they're so messy or, or why they spend their money so wrongly and that's a new car and that's really interesting. What are you doing with your money? And, and, and all that stuff that you do, even in church, and all the stuff that we do about other churches and why we would, when we really love the Pentecostals, we would want to be them and we love the Bethel guys where they're all hairy fairy and all that kind of, we love that but we, you know we're just doing our thing or the Baptists who or the whatever whatever it is that we we do which which nobody out there cares about apart from thinking we're a bunch of saddos and Jesus is grieved because they're all his kids and while we're doing that while we're deciding that we consequently miss out on the incredible opportunity to witness to a world that is in desperate need that there is a God in heaven who loves people, there is a transformation and healing that is possible, and there's a different way of living in this world which brings life to people. Because we're deciding to sit in the judgment seat and we're missing out on being a witness. And we're damaging ourselves as much as anybody else. Get out of the judge's seat. I am offended. (laughs) I am offended probably the most powerful and invidious words in our culture today. 
I'm offended. Stop being offended. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> stop, I mean, stop being offended. Get, get over yourself. You will find a hundred things wrong with every situation you walk into if you're predisposed to be offended because we're all broken people. We're living in a broken world. Everything, every situation, there's something that's going to go wrong. And if you predispose yourself to being offended and to want to judge, you will find exactly what you think you're going to find. I'm, I am no longer looking for a reason to be offended. I'm looking for a way to forgive because of the Jesus way. Can, can you, I don't know if you can, but can you imagine the power of the witness of this church if you decided you would be a judgment-free zone? If, if nobody here ever felt the possibility or the danger that you will be judged for who you are, what you do, how you behave, how you spend your money, how you parent your kids, you would be loved, you would sometimes get some counsel, but you wouldn't get opinion you would be, you'd be loved and you'd not be judged. Can you imagine the witness that would happen on this peninsula? Is that what it is? Peninsula? Hill? Area? Environment? Can you imagine? If you were known as a people who were much more interested in people than programs, in fact, you were willing to sack all your programs because you were interested in really getting to understand what was going on in people's lives. If you were a bunch of people who said we are far more interested in being witnesses to who God is than we are about judging anybody, come as you are, let God do the business. Let God sit in his seat. Disturb yourself. You see, prejudice and passivity in programs makes Jesus mad. Why? Because it kills life. The, the word that's used here is the word ogre, which is, is the root of the word ogre. And, and it actually means this. There are, there, are, there, are, there are two words for angry, and this is, this is calculated, intentional, rational anger. So in other words, this is not hothead. It's not Jesus being a hothead and getting really hacked off and throwing his toys out of the pram because someone's doing something they shouldn't do. This is Jesus who has decided he is going to be angry about this because it's so bad and it so hurts people. And it just so destroys people created in the image of God. It's, it's not the rituals that upset him. It's what the rituals have become. It's not the buildings. It's, it's what they represent. It's not the programs. It's, it's what they help us ignore. Churches, we, we miss the point. When the way we do church and the way we do life stops being good and freeing people. It's in danger of becoming evil. And we need to break it up, change it up, free it up. And so Jesus says, I, I, am, I am not doing it your way. So in God's house, on God's day, I'm saving some lives. And he says to the man, would you stand up? Stretch out your hand. And the man was healed. And it defied religion and it offended most people in the room. Jesus is wanting to heal people, and so often we miss it. Jesus is way more concerned with be with me 
than the years would do for me. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. See, it's the being with him that makes us act like him. It's, it's that flow. It's the being with him that makes us act like him, and that's a game changer. And so, and so Jesus says, come be with me. Let me disturb you. Because you've been doing for me, and it's killing you. Whoa. It's, ki- <laughs> it's very good. And it's killing you. By the way, if you didn't know this, it's also killing people around you. Come be with me. Let me shift you from the place of judgment to the place of witness. Because you've been trying to do my job for me and you make a really bad God. Come be with me. Because you've been hiding when I called you to shine. And you're missing out on life. And so is everyone else around you. Allow the Spirit of God to do a work of disruption and get out of the rut. Do you allow me to pray for you? It's sort of a question. Let's pray. So, Holy Spirit, of Jesus, the disruptor, the wind, the breath of God. We invite you to come. Would you miraculously remove all things that the preacher spoke of that were nonsense and of him? But would you sink into our hearts and minds in a disturbing way the things that were truth, not just for our community, but for our personal lives? And even on this Sabbath day, in your house, would you defy religion, offend some of us, and do some healing? And for those of us who've been trying to do for you, for all the right reasons, I pray that you would come by your Spirit and introduce us afresh to your person. And do the stuff that only you can do in our hearts. And those of us who find it so easy to judge, we're so sorry for taking your place, Father, and doing your job and pulling down people created in your image that you love passionately. And doing out of out of insecurity and fear and anxiety. And we ask that you do a, a miraculous work in the life of this community, that this would truly be a judgment-free zone. And we would truly be a witness to what you can do with ordinary broken people who set their sights on you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. And those of us who walked into the building today knowing that we needed a touch of healing from the Savior, we come on this Sabbath day to say, God, would you, would you meet with us? 
physically, emotionally, spiritually, would you bring the healing that only you can do? Would you save lives? And would you do good? Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. And just meet us here. So we're going to continue in this place and